you are all by yourself. You're going to take a hike. It's in the deep, dark woods of Appalachia, and it's nighttime. You're a little bit fearful. You're a little bit scared. And you're just asking yourselves, am I going to make the wrong turn? What am I going to do? So there would be no one in here that would take that type of trip or hike that kind of hike without what? A light, some sort of light. There's a phenomenal uh, series on Netflix. It's called Alone. And Alone is probably the most skilled people on planet Earth to be able to survive alone in the wilderness. Some of these guys, oh, they are able to survive, or women are able to survive up to 100 years. Oh, 100 years. That's a long time. 100 days in the wilderness all by, their, by themselves and survive. It's remarkable. But even them, when the thump in the middle of the night goes boom, what do they do? They reach for a headlamp. This is a beautiful picture. This is Nevada Falls. Now we are about uh, six miles uh, to uh, Yosemite Valley. And the reason this picture is so beautiful is because it is at sunset. And we are a good two hours away from the valley floor. Meaning for the next two hours after sunset and the sun goes behind the Sierra Nevadas, we will be hiking in total darkness. We've never been on this path before. You've got, of course, rivers. Of course, you've got steep cliffs. You've got roots. You've got uh, rattlesnakes. Whatever there is, there is something in front of you that you cannot see. And so inevitably, all of us pull out our headlamps to be able to illumine the path in front of us. So... When the Lord says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path, he is trying to tell us that we need help. And I know it's a little cheesy, but I'll just need to be cheesy. You and I are all hikers. We are all in the middle of the woods, but it's not a grand adventure toward Yosemite Valley. It's just called life. And whether you know it or not, the presumption of Psalm 109, 105 is that our world is more dark than it is light. Let me say that again. The presumption here is that the world that we inhabit, the trail that we hike, the place that we go is more dark than it is light. And we need supplemental something to be able to walk there for us. We need assistance. And so when we are going on this journey, are we prepared? Are you and I prepared for what is ahead of us? And if you're not prepared, how can you get prepared? Most of us, I'm an optimist, and we see the world as, as wonderful and good and, and romantic and joyful. And yet the psalmist has a little bit more sober reality of the world, and it says that it is actually dark and frustrating and maybe even evil. And so how are you and I going to transverse these types of things? You see, we think way too highly of ourselves. And so when we ask, are you prepared?, I don't know what's wrong with this. Maybe we'll just have to look at this for the rest of the time, That's, that, that would, which would be fine. Um, um, we think way too highly of ourselves. And so when we think too highly of ourselves, the way that we prepare is what? Is to think of what we can provide. And we don't look outside of ourselves. 
in this scripture, it tells that we have an apparatus at our disposal that's beyond us, and it's called God's Word. We've spent all summer talking about the Bible, haven't we? We've talked about the sufficiency of the Bible, that it's enough. We've talked about the authority of the scripture, that it is ahead of us and above us, and so we submit to it. We, we taught that it was, there was no error in it, that it is supposed to be both studied and delighted in over and over and over trying to convince people like you and me that we need the scripture. Today is very practical. I mean, very practical. Are you prepared to walk throughout life? And if you're not prepared, how can you use these scriptures to be able to do that more efficiently? Scripture is very clear. Your word is a lamp into our feet, a light into our path. And this is what he's doing right from the get-go is to contrast the idea that there's darkness and there is light, that there is God's word and then there is a world around us that we are always in, in, um, in conflict with. And so what does a lamp do? It illumines, right? It casts light. You and I have seen the movies of these people, these adventurers in some kind of dark cavern or something, and they're holding a torch. Why? Because they need to be able to get from point A to B, and they can't see without it. That's why there's floodlights on your house. That's why search and rescue helicopters have these huge booming lights to be able to rescue someone who's lost or in a river or even a burglar that's running from the law. The light does something that we can't do for ourselves. This is the Middle East. This is about 1,500 years before Jesus was born. There was no electricity in the Middle East. In fact, it was dark, like dark, dark. And so what David is telling us is that with it being dark, dark, how are you able to get to the bathroom, much less avoid the problems of life? You and I don't have that problem. It's called light pollution. It's everywhere. With electricity and population, we can't, we don't even understand what dark, dark is. But you find yourself in some wood somewhere, a hundred miles from civilization, and then you begin to realize, wow, there's darkness and then there's true darkness. And so you are on a journey in a dark world, not just dark, but dark, dark. How are you going to prepare yourself to be able to do that because we are to use this light to use this lamp to use it effectively to permeate the darkness you see the way that we are structured david structures this psalm is that we are to create the light pollution that we are to radiate god's word into humanity for them and for us all to see what is true and clear and wonderful and good you see in a society like ours that shunned the bible who's truly walked away from the scriptures a lot of the critiques is that this word is both oppressive or maybe repressive to all of humanity that when we follow these precepts, when we follow this law, we're actually going back to the dark ages. But what is David telling us here? What is he actually instructing us? That when we follow God's word, the world is not darker 
right, and more dangerous. Instead, it's more light and more safe. Why would we not want to understand this word truly and good? It's not just a light in a dark place, but it's also very, very practical. You see, this lamp or this light, it's, it, it casts out in front of you. If you have a flashlight in a dark place, what does it do? It casts out in front of you a good five or 10, maybe even 20 feet in front of you. And so it leads you, it guides you, it goes out in front of you. And so not only theologically is it good for us because it's a light, but it's very practical in a day-to-day reality that you are going to be walking at some point today. It is highly likely that you're going to be walking sometime tonight. So practically, how are you going to see? The practical benefit is that the Holy Scriptures themselves are able to guide our daily life. It's very, very practical. Historically, this is Psalm 119. It's, It's broken up into stanzas. And if you know anything about the structure of it, here's how David has done it. He's trying to teach both his kids and the little Jewish brother, little boys and girls the Hebrew alphabet. And so if you kind of just look, it's the longest psalm in, in the Psalter. But if you look, you see that all of them have little, little um, um, titles. And so you, you start with Aleph, and then Beth, and then Gimbal, and then Talit, and then Hey, And then it just continues to go over and over to the Hebrew alphabet until all of the letters are consumed. And so what David is trying to do is fundamentally teach kids the alphabet. Here's the Hebrew alphabet, and here's what you need to do. This is the fundamentals of reading and writing. And it's very, you know, wonderful that we were able to celebrate that these kids are about to get their own Bibles, right, and be able to read this year. And we want them to read the scriptures for themselves. It's wonderful and it's good. That's what David wanted for their kids, to understand the Hebrew alphabet. It's the fundamental of education. But subconsciously, he was also not just teaching the Bible, but he's also teaching the foundation of life. All of Psalm 119, over and over and over, is about one thing, God's word. So here we are in the 14th stanza, and he says, your word is a lamp. It's so very practical. It's for you and me to be able to use over and over and over again. It's practical. So are you prepared for daily life to be able to walk through this life with some type of apparatus to show you the way? In pastoral ministry, you never know who's going to knock on the door or who's on the other side of a phone call. Because in the way of pastoral ministry, likely we are a part of your best day and your worst day. That's why you need pastors. And oftentimes on your worst day, you ask for prayer. So in a very practical way, what's on the other side of the door? Who's going to knock today? Who's going to call you today? And how are you going to handle that impossible situation? Some of you have had spouses leave or spouses die. Some of you have had diagnostics that you were not able to handle. Some of you are in the middle of a major move or a job loss or 
some kind of medical situation. You weren't expecting that. You weren't expecting that phone call or that knock on the door. And so how are you going to get through these seasons very practically? David tells us for sure that there is a source out there, a light to show the way to you. So it is our guide. But it's also very protective, isn't it? The reason you use a light, especially just think about a, a, a boom in the night. You get real, real scared, and what do you do? You turn on the lights, right? Especially for the pacifists out there that don't own guns. That's all you got. It's a light switch, right? You're like, who's there? So it's your protection because you don't want to be startled. You want to know exactly what is going on. The reason I read the whole psalm, Psalm 105 all the way to 112, is because it uses words like affliction. It uses words like enemy. It uses a word like snare. These words are humbling, meaning on a practical, daily basis, there may be an enemy after you, an affliction around every corner, and a snare ready to trap you. What do snares do? Snares are built to capture living things. Psalm, the psalmist here tells us there is a snare. And at any, at any step, you could misstep and find yourself trapped. The best trappers in the world, they understand both, you know, the weather and all of the horizons and, and the traffic of, of all of these animals. And likely there's from the high ground all the way to water. That's just the, the easiest route from the high ground down to the low ground in order to get water. These men and these women trying to trap will then put strategically in place in this well-run route a trap for someone to run into. It's premeditated. They know that it's going to catch someone by surprise. They know that they do not want to be trapped, but instead they want to be free. I don't know how to say this in any somber ways, but there is an enemy that knows your path and knows how you go from high ground to water. And kind of the journey that you are on with your inclinations, your proclivities, how you are uniquely tempted in a way that only you know, maybe you haven't even shared with anyone, the enemy knows those things. And on a path right now, today, there may be a snare waiting to grab you. A light is more than just a guide that will lead, but it will also protect you, protect you fully and completely over and over and over again. In modern day evangelicalism, we all are, we're all about the hype. We want some kind of frenetic experience with a, with a spirit. And so churches all over the place are creating emotional appeals for you to be able to engage the Lord fully and completely. I'm not saying that those things are bad or should even be avoided. However, that is not what is happening here in this psalm. What is happening here is that today you are in jeopardy. Today there is a trap being set for you. And are you guarding yourself for that very trap? And if you're not you are exposed. 
And so what you need is daily protection, this daily, daily reality that all along the path of your day, there's something that will force you to slip, to trip, or even worse, be trapped. That's what the psalmist is trying to say. And that's why he makes it so personal. Your word, God's word, the sufficient word, the authoritative word, the infallible word, your word is what? Personal pronoun, mine. He uses a personal pronoun twice. Why does he do that? It is for God's people. It's for God's children. It's for the nation of Israel. It's for the local church. All of these are collective words. And yet what David says is what I need right now in a practical way is your word every single day. That's what he's trying to say is that my feet and my path, my step, I need it. Are you coming to the word with that type of desperation on a daily basis? You may not know this about King David, but he's a king. He was chosen by God himself, but he was a smart guy. He was not only smart, but he was articulate. He was both a warrior and a poet. He was able to like govern an entire nation, able to make them full of acclaim. The whole world was its envy. He was able to rout armies and point uh, to, to um, fend off lands. I mean, this guy was wonderful and good and rich. He had lots of land and lots of things. He loved the Lord. I mean, he was more spiritual. He was more powerful. He was richer and smarter than all of us in here probably combined. This was God's chosen vessel. He was awesome. Jesus himself was to, know, to be known out of the line of David. He was a part of David's tree line. But despite all of that, the smarts, the riches, the command, the power, all of those things, King David was limited. And what he was limited with is like, I don't trust myself, he says. I don't trust my own wisdom. I don't trust my own experience. What I need what I need is God's word alone. My natural understanding, my natural smarts, even my power and authority, it's not enough. The very best wisdom, my wisdom, David says, is not enough. I need something supernatural that will be able to speak and pierce throughout all things. So you may stroll through life, you may skip through life, right? You may be Eeyore and kind of like trudge through life. It doesn't matter. In all of those ways, you're stepping with your feet and you're kind of going on a journey. But in fact, you are walking through life. And the question today is, are you going to trust in your own strength or something else, God's very word? You better not be trusting in yourself. If so, that is the snare. That is is the trap. So tell me, brothers and sisters, how are you to, Ephesians 4, walk in a manner worthy of the Lord without the word of the Lord? How are you, Isaiah 57, to walk uprightly 
without the word of the Lord? How are you, 1 John 1, to say that you are to walk in the light as he is in the light without God's word? How are you, Micah 6, how are you to walk humbly? The fact is you can't walk in the light, you can't walk humbly, you can't walk worthy or uprightly without seeing the blueprint. And that blueprint is the Bible. It's more than reading. It's more than memorizing. It's more than toting. It's life. The very words of life. So David says that these are my feet. I've got two of them and I'm supposed to step with this light. And so with every single step, I am to be dependent upon something other than my own strength and my own clarity. I need God's word to to help me step. But then he goes on to a second pronoun. He says, my path. A path is much broader than the single step that you take. A path has been there before. It's made able to chart you in a direction. It's to help you not get lost in the woods. And so not only do your feet need to be grounded in the word, but you also need to know the direction, the path in which you are to go. Realizing now this, that both your steps, your feet, and also your path, these are both personalized to you. The direction in which you are to go. What David is saying is that you can be on the right path and take the wrong steps and you are in danger. But you could also be taking the right steps and being on the wrong path and still be in danger. You need both. And so what is the path for you and me? What is this personalized realization of where God is taking us? Let me quote the New Testament that says that the God of this age is Satan himself. The God of this world is an enemy that we will never be able to conquer. The God of this age, Satan himself, blinds the mind of those who, from seeing the light of the gospel. The point of Satan is to keep you blind, to keep you in the dark, for you to never able to see. But what is he trying to keep you from seeing? The light of the gospel. Jesus himself says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus tells us, that now you know what the path is. It's through me. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The path for you and me is Jesus and Jesus alone. The path for you and me is to look at Jesus as the exemplar of our faith and to follow him. The God of this age is trying to blind you and me. I was having a gospel conversation with a seven-year-old, sharing the gospel. He was much older, much wiser than me. But what, where the conversations headed was actually the saddest thing I've been a part of in a long, long time. Here's the seven-year-old who was speaking with great clarity and conviction, and he says the essence of all religion is to be morally pure. Basically, to do the right thing at the right time. I was in college ministry for a long, long time, and we'd ask simple questions like this. 
are you a Christian? We're in the deep south. So they're like, yeah, I guess. And so how do you get there? How do you get to heaven? And inevitably, eight out of 10 college kids would say, be a good person. You could be 18 or you could be pushing 80. The blindness of our current age is to leave it up to you to be a good person and to do it at the right time in the right place. That is not, that is not what the scriptures say. The scriptures say that the path that we are to go on, the path that we should be a part of, the way is through Jesus and Jesus alone. God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. All. We are a city on a hill. We can say it over and over and over that we are not to be hidden. The path that God has has you on is not a path toward moralism at all, but truly to follow Jesus and Jesus alone. This summer was not about you getting to read your Bible more, even though you should. This summer was not even about you lifting it up and to see it as supreme even though you should. It was to grab you by the shoulders, to look you in the to eye, and to plead with you with all emotional appeal for you to see the author and the finisher of this book. The narrative, the story of the Bible is Jesus and Jesus alone. That's why you come to church. To fall in love with Jesus to sing songs to Jesus, to pray to Jesus, to know where your feet and what your path was built for was for Jesus and Jesus alone. There's a wonderful picture of the new heavens and the new earth. It's found in Revelation. It's at the very end of our story. And there's this little phrase that there, in the new heavens and the new earth, there would be no need for the sun, the moon, or the stars because God himself will be our light. By him, the source and the radiance of who he is, that's how we will see. And so why not now what you will do then? Why not live now how you will live then? We will spend all eternity living in light of what Jesus has done for us. And yet now we may be living in a different light what you can provide or what you can do, that's a lousy way to live. Live now in light of what God has done because light and glory go together. When the angels show up to the shepherds and the glory shone around them, it comes with a great light. Glory and light come together in the new heavens and the new earth. How does the stanza end? Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light to my path. I incline my heart to perform your statutes forever to the end. One day you will die. This is a very short stint on planet Earth. How will you live your days practically? Forever to the end. I love podcasts. I love reading books. I love talk radio. I love sports radio. I love information. I love politics. I love words. I love grammar. I love a good story. I love, and I could go on and on and on. But at the end of my day, 
when I depart this earth, I pray that my love for football or politics or even Appalachia or church planting will not be what is said of me. I want it to be that he gave his life fully and completely to this word. And that's what I want for all of us. Moralism and you being a good little boy and a good little girl is killing us. Being dependent on him fully and completely, that's where we're going to go. And so how are you going to deal with this word? As a lamp to your feet and a light into your path, how are you practically going to deal with this? I want to challenge you this morning. Is this word your lamp? When the boom goes, you know, in the middle of the night, where would you turn? When the worst news possible is on the other side of a door or a phone call, where do you go? If you're looking for a source of wisdom and revelation, where do you go? More importantly, how you define your relationship with the Lord, where do you go? For God's people, for 2,000 years, it's been dependent on our relationship with Jesus who says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so brothers and sisters, where do we turn? Where are our feet going to land today? Let me pray for us. And so King Jesus, I pray practically for our church this morning. Practically, may we be men and women of the word. May we not come to the word to get smarter. May we not come to the word to prove other people wrong. May we come to the word to be blown away by the story of God from start to finish that has God on the move. God, the proactive one, pursuing us when we are rebels, when we're running, when we're enemies of you, you still pursued us. So Lord, thank you for this written word. Thank you that it is written down and preserved for all time for us to read and to meditate and to memorize. Help it to move from our head down into our heart. That it's not something that we know, but something that we need. Lord, as our feet takes us someplace today, practically, are we dependent on your word? for every step, but more, more importantly, for our path for life. I don't know how this sermon has hit you, but just take maybe just a minute to reflect on your relationship with this lamp and this light of the word. Is it dim? Is it dark? Is it blazing bright? I bet for some of us, it's more dim and more dark than we would want to even say out loud. So say in silent between you and your creator, you and your redeemer. And pray a prayer maybe of confession, but also commitment back to the word this morning.
is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. We pray that this will be the trajectory of our lives, King Jesus. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. And so we don't rest in our moralism this morning. We rest in what Jesus has done for us. The scriptures tell us firmly and completely what Jesus has done on our behalf. He bridged the gap. And so after a sermon series even that's dealing with the Bible, we want to be obedient to what the Bible says and where our identity lies. And it's in the person and work of Jesus. And so when we forget it ourselves, we go back to our practical things. And so that's why we picked up tangibly, a tangible piece of bread. And we hold a little cup of juice because practically we need to see the author of our faith, the author and the perfecter of our faith. And we need to say and consume and say, Lord, I believe. And so you may be believing this morning in the person and work of Jesus. Just know that this table is for you. You may be on, you know, on the cusp of whether you believe this stuff or not. That's okay. Continue to ask the Lord the hard questions. Continue to surround yourself with, with people of faith and ask them the hard questions. There are real answers for life here that is found. And so for all those who believe, we're walking in the path we encourage you to come to the table this morning. So go ahead and stand and just know there's two tables in the back and two tables in the front. And these tables are now open for fellowship.